Hey, I'm Lucas Dorr from OKC Thunder, and you're listening to the No Special Team Podcast. Hey, you're listening to No Special Teams. This is a Ben-only episode, so I have me, Ben Holloway, and Ben Friesen. Carson is away watching UFC with some friends, so we gave him the week off, but we're really excited you're here to listen. Um, so this week, we're really just here to kind of break down um, what all went on with the Razorback game, and then we'll have a few other points towards the end, but the primary reason we're here is the Razorback game, so I'll just hop in and kind of talk and give my reaction, and then uh, Friesen and Holloway, feel free to jump in there once I get done, and, and you're welcome to give um, your immediate reactions as well. I'll say the first thing, I think there were quite a few positives that can come from this game. Um, you know, I think the uh, the line um, when we were talking last week was 26 and a half points. And um, we didn't exactly, uh, <laughs> I mean, we did cover. Uh, it was it was a 26 point loss, but um, still not exactly the performance you would expect or, or hope. Um, would come from Sam Pittman's first game. But, you know, I do think the start of the game had some some good highs that we can really build off of. Um, I know we talked last week a little bit about, or at least I did, my expectation that I thought the secondary could take a step forward and really do better than what they had in previous years. I know it's been a real weakness on the team in the past few years. And I think we really saw, um, you know, our secondary took a step forward and, and played pretty darn well. Um, you know, I think the biggest issue that we saw offensively, we just never really got the run game going, you know, from the very start of the game, Rakeem Boyd never had any room uh, to do anything, you know, and, and I think that's the biggest issue is, um, you know, ultimately this team is going to go as far as Rakeem Boyd can take them. And with him struggling like that, um, it's just really hard to win a game. And I don't think it all it all falls on him. You know, like I mentioned, he really didn't have any room um, to, to make anything happen from the very start of the game. And so really, I mean, if that's the case, it's going to be difficult for, for Arkansas to win. We're going to go as far as he can take us. And, um, you know, I, I, I hope uh, moving forward, you know, really we can turn it around and, and figure out a way to, to get him more involved and, and use him effectively. Uh, what do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I thought that the Hogs kind of are predictable, and they have been for years just from how the game was going to go. I had sent a text to uh, my work group right before the game started, and I said, you know, here's what's going to happen. The Hogs are going to come out scoring early. Um, Drew Cable, who you talked about, is going to text the group and talk about how he totally called it, and the Hogs are going to be great. <laughs> And then we're going to give up 38 unanswered points. And then we're going to end up my, I said 41-17, but I mean, I was right in the neighborhood. Um, and it's basically exactly how the game went. So, I mean, I thought we started the game with a good amount of energy. Like you said, defensively, I was really impressed. I mean, if you if you really take the game as a whole and you cut out from six minutes left in the third quarter to 11 minutes left in the in the fourth quarter, you know, if you take out those 10 minutes of the game, you know, the other 50 minutes of playing time, we've won the game 10 to nine. Uh, we just got outscored 28 to nothing in a nine or 10 minute span. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
So, you know, I think the box score looks worse than the game was. Um, but the only, like, complaint or criticism I really had was the first half, it looked like offensively we were using a lot of different formations and really it, it seemed like we were being pretty creative. Now, it wasn't necessarily generating a ton of yardage, but it felt like we were trying things. Um, the second half, especially when we kind of fell apart, it felt like we just moved to a kind of four wide shotgun set over and over every single play. Boyd didn't really find anything on the ground. Frank's, you know, I think he's got the skill to be a good game manager in a game that Boyd is doing well. But when the game became a pass first game, I think some of his kind of weaknesses as a passer uh, came to the forefront. But I mean, overall, you know, if you look at the, the Georgia rushing, they average like 2.9 yards a carry considering the whole game, which is amazing looking at Arkansas last year that couldn't hold San Jose state under eight yards a carry. Um, so I was encouraged. I think that there's some good bones and it seemed like the Chad Morris era, the focus was always on winning and not necessarily on like establishing the core of the team and who the identity of the team. And it felt like Pittman was more focused on establishing the identity of the team throughout the whole game, regardless of what the score was on the, uh, on the scoreboard. So I've, I've got some hope for this season. You know, maybe we can, maybe we can get an SEC win, um, but I'm certainly not ready to hang any banners. You're not ready to hang banners after a 27. Now, reason you, you only watched the first half, right? <laughs> yeah. So I only watched the first half. So it was a great game to me. Um, once I saw You're the score. Yeah. Once I saw the score, I was like, yeah, might as well not watch it. Um, but yeah, it didn't really feel sustainable in the first half. Like a lot of the reason George's offense wasn't get, getting going, um, is they were just penalties all the time mm-hmm. and their quarterback just felt, it just seemed really off, um, just off his game and they weren't getting in any momentum. So it didn't feel sustainable what our defense was doing, although they were playing well. A lot of it I think was based on George's mistakes and then offensively, like, yeah, we couldn't get the run game going at all. So outside of that that first drive we had where we scored, which is kind of how, like you said, Holloway, how Arkansas has been, where it's like they'll score early and then just stall the rest of the game. And that yeah. that was that was what happened. They just um, they got a good drive going and then their offense just became stale the rest of the the rest of the half and I guess the rest of the game. But what what did Georgia do differently? on offense in the second half to get going. So I'll say, I think the biggest turning point really came when uh, Georgia put in their, their second quarterback, Stinson Bennett, Um, you know, up until that point, Dewan Mathis, I think was the the name of the other quarterback. He had really been struggling. And um, when they put in Stinson, I think they really kind of simplified the offense and just really tried to come up with a way to, um, you know, complete some passes get the ball moving, um, you know, nothing too crazy. And through kind of simplifying the offense, it really um, ended up just working quite a bit better. And and that led to their running game working, you know, a little bit better than they had previously. And they were able to move the ball. But, you know, I think ultimately it really, they didn't do anything crazy on their side. Really the biggest difference came from the fact that, you know, our defense just got tired. Um, they were on the field for, for so long. Um, I think anytime your, your defense is, is out there, you know, after the offense goes three and out, you know, 15, 16 times, it's just really difficult on them to, 
you know, continue to perform. And, you know, I, I thought they did a great job at the beginning of the game. And um, hopefully, you know, next week we can get a little bit more going on the offensive side. And those guys can get a bit of a break because really I think that was the biggest issue. Um, I will say one one big thing that sticks out at me that I didn't discuss at first, um, you know, Traylon Burks, <laughs> he had a heck of a game. Um, first career touchdown, um, which it's crazy that, that he hasn't scored in his, his Arkansas um, career yet until today. But, um, yeah, ton of yards, had a touchdown, and then also had an interception um, on that crazy play. I feel like he had an interception last year too, but I can't remember. Um, you know, <laughs> he was just – I don't know why we, we put him in that position um, where he had to throw it up and, um, you know, pray that somebody was going to go up and get it. But definitely um, interesting play call there. I like the creativity, but some like that play and then the double reverse on our own 10-yard line that ended up in a safety. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that was I, – I didn't understand why we – why we did either of those. I don't, I don't know that necessarily we would, or he would call those plays again. If we were in that situation, I will say, you know, just talking about some, some more bright points, um, Jalen Catalan, um, he didn't get to play a ton last year. Um, so this is the the first time we've seen him, um, you know, in extended periods of time on the field. I thought he really stepped up and played really well. Um, you know, and, and we had some other guys too, that we talked about on the pod, um, last week, Julius Coates, um, came out and played pretty well. And, you know, I also think, you know, bumper pool and, and even Grant Morgan to his, um, <laughs> you know, credit, they, they came out and played really well. I was surprised by the linebackers, which was a major area of concern we discussed. Um, I think the biggest thing, you know, that disappointed us just to go back, um, could never figure out how to use Rakeem Boyd, but I was also surprised, um, Trey Knox ended with one catch. Um, you know, he was a go-to receiver at the beginning of the year last year. And, um, you know, I think that's another guy that we're going to have to get going if we're going to be able to um, perform very well moving forward on the season. You know, I really hope that we can find a way to use him. Um, you know, I remember he was a big security blanket for our quarterbacks on third down last season. So hopefully we can figure out a way to uh, utilize his talents and get him the ball a little bit more. Um, but yeah, overall, you know, I do think we got some good building blocks to move forward with. Yeah, and the only other thing I would add is I was disappointed to not see more passing game work in just the middle of the field in general. Um, they had Hudson Henry out on the field a lot in the first mm-hmm. half in different packages, but he didn't finish the game with a single reception. Um, and like you said, like even the receptions that Burks and Woods had, it was all on the sidelines, you know, on, on more deep throws or out routes. It was just interesting. Normally you'd think if you're you're up by a few points, it's a low-scoring game, you want to milk the clock some. They just didn't feel like and, – and, again, maybe that's just due to – I don't know if Georgia's got just an incredible linebacking core, um, you know, that, that we were trying to avoid there. But it seemed strange that we didn't try to work the ball in the, in the center of the field more, I guess. Yeah, talking on Hudson Henry, I know at the beginning of the game he had that um, – almost catch where the Georgia defender really lit him up. I would be interested to hear. I mean, he didn't seem to be like himself after that. I don't know if that impacted him at all or, you know, from an injury standpoint, if there was something wrong, but 
um, you're right. We really didn't go over the middle of the field too much. And um, I think that might've had something to do with it. Uh, One other question on the game I had for you guys, and you guys have both probably been to more um, games at Razorback stadium than I have. Um, I mean, in the first half, obviously our defense helped generate a lot of possessions and it just felt like our offense could never really ride that momentum. Do you feel like the lack of fans at the game cost us? I know Arkansas, that's kind of one of the things they pride themselves on is the fan involvement. Do you think we would have been able to capitalize on more of those, you know, should have been capturing a lot of momentum where we kind of fell flat in the first half? I mean, Uh, I don't don't think so. A lot of the, a lot of our possessions in the first half, at least, were starting at like our own five yard line. Yeah. So it's hard to really get momentum from something like that, even though it was a big defensive stop. Yeah, I mean, personally, I just go back to the, I mean, the rushing game wasn't there, and and offensively, we got to figure out a way to to keep the defense off the field at least for a little bit. I will say, Ben touched on this, um, and we can't specifically talk about this since you know we're no special teams. Um, so I'm not going to bring up how the Georgia punter like pinned us inside the five yard line six times. Um, and I'm not going to yeah, just not bring that up at all because that definitely didn't sway the game or anything like that. But um, all joking aside, I mean, that was huge. And I mean, their punter had himself a day. So um, normally we don't talk about that kind of stuff. Um, ben, I know you mentioned something about the special teams for Texas as well, right? So I was watching uh, the Razorback game with a couple of friends, and we had two Texas fans in the room, uh, which is always a drag. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, so they're on, the only reason they would come is if the Texas game was also available for viewing since it was at the same time. So we had two TVs set up uh, with, you know, the Razorback game on one and the Texas game on the other. And the Texas game was – a wild from a, a special team standpoint. I have never seen a game. So there was each team had an onside kick that they recovered. So there's two <laughs> attempts and two recoveries. There was a blocked punt. There was a punt that was muffed in the end zone and recovered for a touchdown. Um, and there may, I don't think there's a blocked field goal, but it was like the, like, basically half the scores the game ended up 63 56 um so texas got up big early and then just ellinger looked awful against a uh, against texas tech in the second half texas tech went off they have this receiver that's like six six i think is is what they said six six two thirty or something like that just an absolute beast of a man Jeez. um who played really well in the second half and basically texas tech got up 15 with three minutes left and then Texas drove down the field in three plays, scored a touchdown, uh, converted the two-point conversion. They'd used all their timeouts, so there's like a minute and a half left in the game. And uh, they kicked the onside kick, and it like a, a guy from Texas Tech jumps up to catch it and literally just like volleyball, um, you know, you got the like setter in volleyball. Mm-hmm. He basically did that move on the football and just like launched it an extra 10 feet in the air, like <laughs> he was trying to catch it and didn't. And a Texas player ran. So the actual, from where the kick happened to where Texas recovered the onside kick was probably like 25 yards down the field. Oh my gosh. And Texas caught the ball, drove down, scored a touchdown, 
brought it into overtime. Um, but it was just a wild game. There's a lot of like, there's one play where Texas Tech's player clearly stepped like half of his foot out of bounds, but they gave him the touchdown. And even after the review, they said that they like couldn't overturn it, you know, mm. inconclusive evidence. So they left it. So it was a pretty wild game. It was weird watching these two games side by side because it was like one game was at halftime, like 31 to 27 or 28. And then the Arkansas game was, you know, seven to five at the half. And it was like, <laughs> it was definitely like watching two completely different. And that's any SEC and Big 12 side by side. But um, it was just, it was pretty crazy. And then coming off the OU loss this morning, it looked like OU and Texas were going to lose back to back opening games. So it was, uh, I will agree with you that we don't normally speak special teams, but I can get behind onside kicks, you know, punt return touchdowns. Um, those are the special part of the special teams, you yeah. know, not the stupid the punts, crap. <laughs> yeah. The, the punts like, you know, like, especially if you think about like division, you know, division two, division three <laughs> punters or punters um, that wear number 41. At so, Car- yeah, at Carson yeah. Ayers. That's, that's the part of special teams that sucks, you know? So. Yeah. Keeping it in the big 12, um, another big shocker. Um, OU came out and lost to Kansas State. Um, so I just want to point out, um, we, we know Kansas State played Arkansas State earlier this season and lost. And I remember Carson sent us a tweet uh, that said, it was pretty funny, that said Kansas State wasn't even the best team with Kansas State in its name. Um, so I'm just going to throw this out there, but I think Arkansas State may be better than OU. I mean, we can just run that by all the OU fans around here and see what they have to say. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's basic, uh, basic math. If one thing's greater than one thing and then that's greater than another. And I'll say Arkansas um, state chose not to play against UCA. They're blaming COVID, but rumor has it that a lot of their best players uh, were involved in the, uh, those COVID tests, which is why they declined it. So in a way, you know, UCA could be better than Oklahoma. You know I mean? Wow. Again, basic math. That's, that's how it works. Now, Ben, before we move off of college football, you also wanted to touch on the Mississippi State game, right? Yeah, I didn't watch as much of the the Mississippi State game, but uh, obviously Mike Leach has been known to be, you know, just an air raid offensive coach. And uh, I was seeing that basically, I think, Friesen, you were the one saying earlier that he they broke the SEC record for passing yards yep. in his first game. Was that what it was? Yeah. Not in not just in like his first game, but ever. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, the best passing outcome for any SEC team in an SEC game ever. Yep. He just happened to do it in his first game. Coaching. 623 yards. And uh, anyway, it, the, the other interesting thing I saw about it was, um, you know, it would have looked pretty wild when you looked at their stats and saw they had 632 total yards. Uh, but for 623 of those to be passing yards is like next level air raid offense. You <laughs> oh know, my God. To beat LSU, running the ball for nine total yards, um, pretty hilarious. So <laughs> I didn't realize they had that few rushing watch, yards. Like, they're gonna put the SEC kind of on their like on their heads. Like it's just such a different strategy than every other SEC team uses. You know, with yeah. big bodies and slow moving offense and you know lockdown defense, they're gonna be just coming out like just throwing hail marys every play. Yeah. So this might not mean a whole lot to everyone, but uh, as a Nebraska fan, since my parents grew up there, Bo Pelini was one of their all-time worst coaches. 
and this is his first year as defensive coordinator at LSU. So just to have that outcome for his first game there as defensive coordinator is just hilarious. Yeah, that was super crazy. I will say, I thought it was interesting. If you follow the SEC, um, Kylan Hill, the running back for Mississippi State, um, you know, he came back and was, you know, anticipated to be one of the best players in the SEC. And he ended with like 30 yards rushing on the day. I thought that was interesting. Um, that being said, he did have like 160 yards receiving and um, a touchdown through the air. But not the typical way for running backs to get their yardage, but definitely uh, interesting usage by uh, Mississippi State there. Well, speaking of, you know, an exciting day of college football, I mean, there's there's obviously some some good NFL games that are going on tomorrow, but I know that kind of the biggest game of the uh, the weekend is, I, I guess, going to come on Monday Night Football, so not necessarily the weekend, but uh, the Chiefs and Ravens, obviously two teams that have looked great with the season starting out. What are you guys thinking about going into this game? I know, you know, um, pretty much anybody that enjoys the game of football is going to try to find an excuse or way to, uh, you know, be able to watch this game. I think of, uh, I guess, as the, uh, what do you guys call me, the old married man uh, or dad of the podcast. <laughs> Um, you know, when you are at this phase of life where you're an old married man and a dad, you have to start like strategizing your reason to to be able to watch the game of like, you know, am I going to offer to go pick up groceries, but have her put it in for like 8 p.m. so that I can have ESPN on in the car or, uh, <laughs> you know, how am I going to get out of uh, baby duty to be able to watch the game? So I know I speak for a lot of the dads and husbands uh around the world that have been for a couple days since we saw this on the calendar been you know stacking up our brownie points so that on monday night we can uh roll them out and uh, get a night off to watch the game so uh if there's any any other uh you know of the uh lame lame dads and old men around uh that, that are listening to the pod uh make sure to let ben and ben know that i'm not just uh talking crap that this is a real thing that they need to start uh planning on uh, as they move forward in life <laughs> So what do you guys think about the game? Uh, I'm kind of nervous to say anything because last time we talked about a Monday Night Football game, I said the Saints still could uh, still had plenty of weapons outside of Michael Thomas or could beat the uh, Raiders, and that was just as far from the truth as possible. So I honestly don't know. I think it'll be a great game, and I'm excited to watch, but I really don't really don't have a prediction of who's going to win or what it's going to look like. Yeah, so I'm I'm just gonna go ahead and throw it out there. I'm picking the the Ravens on this one. Um, you know, I had them as my Super Bowl pick coming into the season. Um, ultimately, what I think it's gonna come down to is is what team is gonna be more effective at at keeping um, you know either Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson in the pocket and making them become one dimensional. You know, I, I just foresee the Ravens, um, their defensive line being able to do a, a better job of that than the uh the chiefs i am really excited to see you know some of the skill positions um you know whether it's hollywood brown tyreek hill um you know the tight ends for both teams um running backs obviously we have jk dobbins uh, mark ingram uh, clyde edwards Alaire, a lot of big names coming into this game so i'm just excited to see um all of them and hopefully we have a, a high scoring game I'm looking forward to the game for sure. I agree with both of you. 
that it'll be a good game. I think it's been interesting. I mean, just through two weeks, these are two, you know, supposed offensive juggernauts, but really, I mean, the defensive side of the ball is where both of them have won the games that they've won. I mean, it's true. You saw Kansas City struggle most of the game last week against the Chargers and pulled it out, and their defense played really well in the second half. And the, I mean, the Ravens have been annihilating everybody. Like, every running back on the team is getting, you know, 10 or 15 carries. Lamar Jackson and Mahomes have both been really quiet. So I know that uh, if there's anybody out there that are, are big uh, fantasy football players that, you know, spend a lot of draft capital on either of those guys have been pretty disappointed through two weeks. So I don't know what this game will look like. Ultimately, I think it'll be tight um, because the Ravens are favored by three and a half points. I'm taking the Chiefs to cover, but I still honestly think it'll just be a field goal game one way or the other. So that's kind of why I made that call. I I, I think I still pick like lean towards the Ravens um, as, you know, like a 31-28 or 24-21 type finish. But uh, I think it'll be interesting to see like if these offenses can turn up or is it are these defenses like the legitimate pieces that are going to either lead to a repeat championship for – uh, the Chiefs, or maybe give the Ravens what they need to, you know, turn around and get some get some playoff wins to back up their regular season success. Yeah, with how good the defensive defenses have been playing, I still hope it's a high scoring game and close. Um, I'm gonna actually pick the Ravens to win. I feel like this could be a year kind of like uh, the Warriors in the NBA, where the Chiefs just kind of take a back seat on most games and then turn it on at the end and. Yeah. I think the Ravens are good enough to where they might not be able to win if they do that. Um, so that's my prediction. Hey, switching gears. I know you, you kind of mentioned, mentioned the chargers there. Um, I want to bring up, I think we talked about this shortly last week, but um, did y'all see the news? So Tyrod Taylor, um, you know, he missed last week and it came out that um, the chest pain or whatever that he was experiencing was due to the fact that a trainer stabbed his lung um, while trying to give him a uh, painkiller um, for his fractured ribs, which, I mean, props to him for trying to play through fractured ribs. But how do you miss so bad that you stab a dude in the lungs? Um, you know, we saw Justin Herbert came out, and honestly, um, with the whole situation, I thought he played really well. But um, Anthony Lynn immediately came out after and was like, as soon as Tyrod Taylor is healthy, he's our, our starter, um, which I don't know why in the world you would do that, but you know, that's okay. Um, so I'm sure the moment he found out about this injury, he was furiously Googling how quickly can players come back from a, a, a punctured lung. It just seems to me like, you know, when you're watching like a movie, and there's some like priceless artifact like sitting in a museum and there's like a little kid that's like wandering towards it. And, you know, like, OK, this kid's about to, you know, knock this diamond off this table and shatter it. Um, like I'm assuming NFL team doctors are probably paid well, but not not that well. And you got to imagine like these NFL players are like millions of dollars of assets for these teams. And for this guy to like walk in and just like stick out needle in somebody's lung you know like it's like this man you gotta imagine that guy getting the news is like oh oh no like, yep he's probably looking for a new job, job anywhere. yeah like 
who wants to we're like okay well i saw you worked for the uh the chargers did it end well no well <laughs> he's gonna end up like tobias from arrested development where he uh, oh yeah actually the guy's turn he's trying to be a, he's become an actor <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah so i hope he has a good fallback plan because that's probably gonna be a hard uh hard situation to recover from so. yeah okay so switching gears here um you know, obviously we are in the uh, conference finals um, for the NBA. You know, the Lakers game is going on right now. Um, what have you guys' thoughts been since we talked last time? Um, any big news since we uh, discussed this one last? Uh, I mean, Tyler, Tyler Hero went off one of those games since we talked last time. Oh, yeah. He had like 37 points, right? Yeah. That was really impressive. He's looking like one of the top picks from this last I mean, aside from John and Zion, obviously. But I bet a lot of teams that passed on him are kind of regretting that decision. Yeah, I don't disagree. I mean, I would have loved to have him. Um, I will say, I mean, so right now, the uh, the Heat looked like, ha- like they have the, uh, the Splash Bros 2.0 rolling out there, you know, uh, with Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson. Um, nailing threes from all over the place. I mean, I don't know that Tyler Hero has quite the handles that Steph does, but um, Duncan Robinson definitely seems like somebody that can score 60 points without dribbling the ball once. So, I just think the Heat, like, they've got some kind of magic going on. Like, every game that I've watched of theirs or even, you know, games I can't watch and I'm watching highlights, like, to me, the Celtics have a better team. Like, in terms of the ability just like straight you know skills like hey if these guys were playing in a pickup game who are you taking first and like you know five of the top seven or eight guys that i'm i'm picking in that scenario are guys on the celtics but the heat there's something about the chemistry that they have that like i guess this has been a good bonding experience for them as a team um maybe jimmy's just in a great mood because of his uh his big face coffee company that's booming (laughs) in the bubble uh, but I mean, they've got like, there's something about it that every game, they don't look incredible until you realize they're like up 15. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the heat really remind me of the, the Spurs of old. I mean, they don't have anybody that just sticks out, you know, and makes me feel like they're just a, a huge, um, you know, super megastar. Right. But they just the system works so well i mean the way that they play i mean they honestly just play the game um in such a like a visually appealing way um just the amount of ball movement that they produce over the course of the game and just the the way that they they just have a knack for finding the open guy in the offense and taking the right shot it really is extremely interesting um i also want to know i know so i've been listening to my uh, Thunder podcast down to dunk and they were talking about the impact of the bubble that it had on, you know, Lugan Stort and um, Darius Baisley, how they both performed really well in their rookie seasons. Um, so I want to know, I mean, do you guys think, especially with the way that we see Duncan Robinson, um, Tyler Hero, some of these younger guys performing, um, do y'all think that's had an impact? The fact that we're playing in the bubble. You have guys like Jamal Murray going off all the time, which is looking like he's just, a superstar, but um, also Michael Porter Jr. has been hitting big shots for them. PJ Dozier played some big minutes the other night. So it's like 
I feel like playing in the bubble gives the young guys a lot of confidence because there's not as much pressure and it feels more like a pickup game, which I'm sure they're amazing at. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And while the young guys have more confidence, there are some old guys that have uh, kind of done the opposite. I don't know if I've ever seen a worse player than playoff Danny Green this year. Oh my gosh, he's so bad. He is like awful because all he brings to the table is shooting normally on a good day. And he like it, it I was never a good three point shooter. I think Joakim Noah could probably provide more value as a three point shooter than Danny Green <laughs> the way he has played this class. It has been just absolutely like I keep thinking, well, you know, he's a shooter. He's just got to shoot through the slump. And I've gotten to the point that when he starts like picking up the ball to go into a shot, like I kind of cringe, you know, because I just know it's going to miss. Do you remember? Um, do you remember that finals when with him in the on the Spurs where it was just like every single shot he was putting up was going in. He was basically Clay yes. Thompson, and now yeah. it's just so far removed from that. Where it's yeah, whenever he shoots, it's like almost a win for the other team. Yeah, no, it reminds me of like when we were in high school, uh, freezing, and we'd see Branch Terrell pull up from three. <laughs> Oh no! And it's just like I better run to the glass is all that's going through your mind. There's no thought that this ball could go in. Yeah. So I think that's kind of the same thought that the Lakers are having now with Danny Green uh, pulling up from three. Yeah. So one thing I'm going to add on the Celtics series is this like an issue with Brad Stevens at all? Because I mean, he has the more talented team, um, and he's had a very talented team the last couple of years. And a lot of people like are putting the blame on the players for the lack of chemistry. But does any of that go on Brad Stevens? He's still kind of the darling coach of the NBA, it seems. I mean, I don't think so. I mean, they're you know, I didn't even realize this until they had made the 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 conference finals. And I had seen a stat, but you know, they've made the conference finals three of the last four years. So um, outside of maybe, I guess, the Warriors have made the West three of the last four years. Uh, There's no team in the NBA that's done that. So Mm. um, I've, you know, it's hard. Once you get to these final games, you need somebody with a killer instinct that can kind of carry you over the hump. I don't know if the roster is lacking that or maybe some of his strategy and play calling in those, you know, high leverage, high impact moments is weak. But I don't know that there's any scenario in which, you know, you're blaming Brad Stevens to the point that you're ready to, you know, move on. Or yeah. Anything like that. It just feels like no one ever, um, like, puts any blame on him. It's like, oh, yeah. it's because of Tatum's not aggressive enough or Smart's too, uh, too hot of a player or whatever. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, we can move on. That's all yeah, I want to say. I have, I have one more uh, NBA-related question. I don't think you guys talked about it last podcast, but um, I need to hear – uh, as a Bulls fan from two Thunder fans, uh, what your thoughts are on the Bulls Billy Donovan hiring, and what should I, as a Bulls fan, be looking forward to as a uh, as a fan on my side? So you're going to see regular season success followed by playoff failures. If we're in the playoffs, <laughs> that's all that matters. To me. I mean personally the biggest disappointment with Billy is just the fact that he wasn't willing to you know adjust you know in the playoffs in the last few years I mean we saw this year um the the Rockets were torching us with Steven out there and with those traditional centers out there and I mean he really just wasn't willing to make a change 
in a way that I think ultimately would have been beneficial. I would have loved to see, you know, more of our lineup where we ran Danilo at the four. And I mean, we only played Darius Baisley 10 to 15 minutes a game, even though, I mean, from an efficiency standpoint, he was probably our best player over the course of the series. Um, You know, and I just, I think he's kind of shown that a lot of times he's unwilling to move from his system, even when it's not working. I would agree with that. I think the, the issue I had as well was just his uh, just slow adjustments in the playoffs and not being willing to take chances, it seemed like. But on a more positive note, like, you know, all the players had good things to say about him. Um, he seemed like a really high-character guy. Is great for, you know, team chemistry and culture, uh, especially with a younger team. So I think uh, that could be a real positive thing, and he could, you know, I don't think he's going to put them over the top, but I don't, you know, the Bulls weren't close to that. So (laughs) I think he'll be a good regular season guy for them. Um, The players will like him and he'll help set a good path for the future there. Yeah. No, I think, I think those elements of, you know, high uh, character and team chemistry are kind of the things that led to this hire. Mm -hmm. Um, The Jim Boylan era was, uh, rough, and even after he got fired, uh, there were mul- multiple reports that broke of like things from you know he and Zach Levine having all kinds of arguments to Zach Levine considering leaving the team if he was still there to like even an instance where someone from like the uh, the nutrition kitchen staff came out saying that like they had been like repeatedly verbally abused by Jim Boylan <laughs> really the food they were making for the team. Yeah, so I think that he was much more of like a hard nose. Like he came from Pop's system, and I think he wanted to be Greg Popovich, but he didn't realize that like, hey, you kind of have to like win for twenty five years first before you can act like this and people be cool with it. Yeah. And uh, instead, he was just like this, you know, old man running around yelling at people for no reason. So <laughs> um, I think Donovan will definitely be a help from that side, and hopefully help to reframe the perspective that you know that it's not a place where free agents want to go play. It's not a place where you would want to be. I I hope that the changes, I think whether he's the right hire or not, the thing I feel confident about is Carson Novas, the new uh, VP of basketball operations was the right hire. I feel like he's done a great job at just like resetting this franchise as a whole with a new GM. He's brought in some incredible scouts, both domestically and on the European side. And he helped build this nuggets roster that's now in the conference finals. So um, nice. I'm excited to see what else he does to, to build the team, but that's all I'll say. I'm glad to hear some of those notes. And honestly, I'll worry about his playoff success when we get there, because <laughs> it's been so long since I've had to worry about making the playoffs and I haven't seen playoff success uh, at all. Uh, the one last note that I thought was interesting is he is the first bulls coaching hire since 2003 to have any NBA coaching experience prior to the hire so uh seems weird for a franchise with the history that the bulls have but 17 years we haven't had a coach that actually coached in the nba before we hired him so uh, (laughs) hopefully it's a sign of of new things to come (laughs) yep okay and we're just completely switching gears here but so uh (laughs) ben wanted to talk a little bit about our bread reactions from last week right so Ben, what did you think about all that we had on on last week um, when we were discussing restaurant bread? First off, 
Uh, I just want to call out to everybody out there after your bread uh, question last week, the fact that nobody gave any love to some Fazoli's breadsticks. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> it just oh, yeah. kind of broke my heart. Like I know that Fazoli's basically have shut down everywhere and the breadsticks are like 600 calories a piece. Um, but those things, that's some like some legendary bread. Um, but in listening to your conversation, I was wondering, uh, you know, the question came up, some people brought up rolls and some people brought up uh, biscuits. And I'm always intrigued to hear uh, if, if you had to choose between rolls and biscuits the rest of your life, you could only have one of them. Uh, uh, what would your pick be? I would go rolls. I would go. Ah, never mind. I would go biscuits. Ah. I'm sorry. I'm going to go biscuits because <laughs> it helped. It adds so much to breakfast food. And if you take that out, yes. there's so many breakfast foods you can't have. Yep. I agree, but it's tough because it's like most roles, there's a pretty high baseline, like a high floor, you know, like yep. when we talk about players, like there's a, a low, lower ceiling probably for, for roles, but there's a very high floor. Oh. I've had some really, really bad biscuits. Before. Yeah. Biscuits you know, have like a low floor. Burn, yeah. If they get burned on the bottom or stuff, you kind of like, but a good biscuit is in my opinion, better than a good roll. So yeah, I, I lean on the fence. I probably still hedge roll, but I could I could be convinced to go to go the biscuit life. So, okay, Ben. I mean, this is kind of off topic, but do you remember? Um, so the year it was me, you, Gideon, and Scott that lived together. So on the first day of school, I uh, I made uh, biscuits and gravy, and I was like, yeah, this is gonna be awesome. I'm gonna make us breakfast. And the gravy that I made ended up like straight glue. It was disgusting. Um, <laughs> the biscuits were okay, but the the gravy was not good. Um, that was wild. Also, completely random, but I saw um, Gideon, you know, our roommate um, from back in the day. He and his wife just had their kid today. So uh, congrats to Gideon. We're happy for you, man. The only other thing I wanted to touch on before we leave for the evening, um, you know, I saw earlier this week and I texted you guys, um, it was the 20th anniversary of Remember the Titans being released this week. And, you know, that's one of, definitely one of my favorite movies. And I know Ben Holloway and I guess Friesen too, you'll probably both feel the same way, um, you know, and so I rewatched it this week during the week. Definitely made me cry, um, like every time I watch it. But, um, you know, it was just such a reminder to me, especially with everything going on right now in our country, um, that, you know, as, you know, just a nation, I, I think we really need to, to find a way to, you know, come together. And um, ultimately, I think every every person out there should, you know, keep in mind, you know, that that really we need to treat other people the way that we want to be treated and um you know i think if you're doing that at the end of the day that's that's the best thing that you can do so um also i was reminded um ryan gosling is a terrible corner and um <laughs> i rem i just thought it was so funny um when uh <laughs> when you know Coach, uh, Coach Yost takes him out. Uh, the dad is like screaming at him, and uh, the little girl, she's like, he's he's getting beat like a like he stole something out there. 
Oh man, just uh, there are some funny moments in that movie, but it it definitely a good one. Friesen and I had a referee all the way through uh, high school that we all called PD because he looked just like. Oh him. yeah, he had like the mole on his lip. <laughs> he was like identical. Yep. So good times. Well, I think we're going to call it there. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, hope you have a great week. And uh, we'll catch you next week. And hopefully we have better <laughs> news about the Razorbacks um, than we did this week. So um, stay safe out there. And uh, everybody have a great week.